welcome y'all. It's my favorite podcaster, Donna D and the Urban Mommy Podcast. Make sure y'all subscribe and share, tell a friend, and hit that bell to keep up with the latest updates, because you don't want to miss what my girl got to say. I'm just saying. <laughs> the Urban Mommy Podcast. Let's go. We can talk about anything you want to talk about. Okay. Hello, everybody. This is your girl, Donna D, a.k.a. The Urban Mommy, and I am back with another podcast. Today, I have a special guest that is going to delight us. He has a wonderful uh, resume. Um, So much, I don't even know where to start. Would you like to introduce yourself? (laughs) Sure. Uh, My name is Dick Weibrow. Um, I was born in Canada. Um, I spent about 35 years in the United States. And speaking of resumes, I started in stand-up comedy, and then I moved into radio, and then got into television production. Um, and in about 10, 11 years ago, we moved to New Zealand, because uh, I'm half New Zealander. My father was Kiwi. And so we've been here, and I've been uh, writing books ever since. So yeah, basically, from, <laughs> from stand-up comedy to radio to, to television and to now uh, as a full-time author, it's, it's just me trying to avoid real work, I think, is what that comes down to. Sounds about right. <laughs> That's no problem. So, since you have such a um, extensive background, what was what is your favorite? What was your favorite of all? If you can put all the positions together, which one is your favorite? Did you enjoy more? I've, yeah, I mean, I've always wanted to be a writer full time, um, and and writing has always propelled me through that. In fact, when I got into stand up comedy, that that wasn't like I want to be on stage. I want to stand up in front of people and have them stare at me like a zoo animal in a cage. Uh, what that was was the the simplest way for me to write something, uh, because breaking into the publishing world is really difficult, as it should be. Um, but it's very, very difficult. And so I would send out, you know, stories or books or whatever it might be, and I wasn't getting a lot back. And so my thought was with stand-up comedy was I could write something and then that night get on stage and present it. And in that way, I was published every single night. And so that kind of, that was what sort of um, spurred that on. And then, excuse me, from there, I got into the radio side. Basically, all that was was a lot like, a lot like stand-up comedy, just a longer day, not so much traveling. And really, I think out of, if I had to pick any of the career, aside from the writing, which is what I've always been doing, radio was always my favorite thing. Radio was such, a little bit like writing, radio is a one-on-one relationship with somebody. Like, whereas in television or anything else, that's kind of like, an, you know, you're putting sort of a show on for an audience. With radio, it's just me and you talking right now and I loved that relationship even though I didn't necessarily know the person on the other side I got to know quite a few people in the radio world but I really love that and creating that what they call the theater of the mind be able to you know take somebody to some place just by describing what's happening around you or or bringing in an environment and uh, entertain people and, and take them to somewhere else it was, it, it was that that was probably my favorite that was the most fun I ever had in any job I'd ever had Okay, so when you were getting into TV, were you in the U.S. or was that in Canada? So I was in, in the U.S. 
because um, I we left uh, my family left because my father when he came over from from New Zealand to the U.S. <laughs> at the time they were like oh no we're all filled up on Kiwis we don't we don't need any more you guys here take, go to Canada they take anybody and so he went to Canada and but he'd always wanted to be in the U.S. and so at the age of nine um, he moved us all down but I don't think uh, between you and me Donna. I don't know if all the all the T's were crossed and the I's were dotted because he was a little bit sketchy when we moved into a place we couldn't bring any of our furniture in, and I think that was his way as the paperwork was being processed. Um, I think that was his way of not establishing the fact that we'd actually moved all the way to the United States when maybe the paperwork wasn't done, and so we spent the first month or two with no beds, uh, no television, no couches. It was just sleeping bags in this three-story house. It was a huge wow. place. Yeah, so we we're camping、uh, when we first got here. We were camping,、um, but so then,、uh, so growing up, I got into、uh, like I mentioned, sound comedy and some radio. And radio changed a lot when all the big corporations took over the iHeart radios and all of these. And you could see the writing on the wall that it was really changing. And so I had to find a different career. And so I got into、uh, the television side of it in kind of a roundabout sort of way. I had a listener of mine when I had a rock show in Atlanta, and they knew that、uh, I was leaving the radio station. And they said, "Hey, listen, have you ever thought about doing television?" And I was like, "Yeah, okay, let's give that a shot." <laughs> and so my first television gig was writing and producing for CNN. So.、Wow. so Kind of starting up at the very top、uh, of the rung there,、uh, so I did that for about ten years. So we came over here, and I've been doing、uh, television on the side here for the last ten years. But that wraps up here in a couple of weeks, and then I'm going to be full time on the writing side. Wow, that's awesome! So with CNN, did you ever get any time on the screen, or was just behind scenes? I I got on the screen by mistake. <laughs> I was、uh, I was working with one of the morning shows, and at the time the, the this you know the, we had this big studio like up on the seventh floor or something like that, huge studio. And so one part of it was just the studio area. The other part was where Jackie Jarris was the weather person in the weather cube, and it was this sort of、uh, and so I had gone in there to speak with her because the cameras were pointed over there. And then they went. They cut her because you know how they say, "Coming up here in a few moments, we're going to be talking、right. to Jackie Jarris about the hurricane coming." And there I am, <laughs> so just kind of. Like, ah. And I think,、right. I think you know, very cool. My first time on television, I was like,、ah. and I, something <laughs> in my head said, "If I don't move, they can't see me." That's not true. <laughs> the, the television is not a Tyrannosaurus Rex, and everybody saw me. And so that was my debut on. On, on television, 162 countries. Me going inauspicious、so, <laughs> beginnings in television, but I never had any interest in being、uh, on camera. That wasn't. I, I never actually had any great ambitions on being on mic. But、uh, but that's that was my foray, my basically my one shot in TV. So so that that's going to go on my reel. <laughs> Your reel, okay. Yeah. So it's the the writing that you were. More、yeah. um, interested in. So, when you did jokes, did you write your own jokes? Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, and that was kind of the fun part in a way of doing standup was it, it was a chance to go up one night and throw something out and see if it worked. Right?、Um, it's almost like what we do with films in some way with test audiences. 
And mm-hmm. so you might get a little bit of a laugh here or you might or even when you're on stage or talking to somebody in the crowd, there might be a moment you can pick up a bit of a line or a joke or something. And so that was the fun of that developing that over time, which is something what you do in regular writing when you're writing novels. You know, you, you sort of like you write a first draft and you go through a second draft and third draft and fourth draft. Twelfth draft, fifteenth draft, depending on how, how you do it. But that was so. There's a parallel there. The difference being is you're sort of doing it real time on stage, and so you would start with a bit that you knew there was something there, and you give it a couple of weeks uh, until it really started to shine, and that would be your A material. And then as you sort of build up your A material into your your three minute set, your five minute set, ten minute set, twenty minute set, half hour. Um, then you would start to filter in some of the stuff. They say there might be something here, and then you're farming in new material all along. Uh, but there's guys. Um, one of the last few times I did stand up comedy in Atlanta, I did it with a, a guy named Kevin Pollock, who's also an actor. And and I asked him. I said, "Hey, you got any new stuff?" And he just laughed. He said, "I've been doing the same set for twenty years." <laughs> he just got to the place where he would just do the exact same set every time. It wasn't dated, and uh, so there are some guys that do that. Uh, Jerry Seinfeld's coming to New Zealand here real soon, and my best guess is going to be all the stuff Jerry did probably you know twenty years ago. So wow, yeah. So I know we had the writer strike and everything here. Did you all? have to deal with that in New Zealand? We dealt with it in the sense that um, on the television show that I'm on, um, <clears throat> it's it's uh, it's this, I, I help produce a 7 p.m. news entertainment show, news humor show, actually. Um, and we would have a lot of different, we'd have various guests coming on to the show that were part of Hollywood. You know, I ended up actually interviewing for the show Ta- uh, Taika Waititi. Um, but during that conversation, I couldn't ask him about writing or acting in the film because those two strikes were going on. So mm. that conversation had to be about him being a filmmaker, being a director. And so that was one way we got around it. But we ended up losing a lot of big guests because of that. But, you know, I'm glad that they did what they did. You know, um, these huge multi-billion dollar companies are doing what they can to try and take advantage of people that are saying, listen, we're trying to make a living with this. And if you don't support that, you ain't going to have people like us around anymore. You know, you have to be able to have a farm team. You have to have people to be able to come up or you're not going to have the actors to be able to make the stuff that you want to make. So good on them for doing what they did, you know, and I hope they, hope, you know, nobody's ever really happy by the end of it. They, nobody ever gets all the stuff they want, but I think that they're in a much better place now by holding out. Our TV right. and movies going to suck for a while <laughs> because right. there's a big gap of time, but uh, mm-hmm. no, it's good. Do you think that the Do you think there is any good behind the AI? I think that, like any new tool, there are ways to use it. You know,、mm-hmm. um, I think the challenge comes down to, like, for example, <clears throat>、um, in the new Beatles song that came, new Beatles song、uh, that came out, which is like number one in the world. Who would thought that 2023 would have a new number one Beatles song? But AI was used, but it wasn't used to like generate a voice. It wasn't used. To like, let's plug in a bunch of John Lennon sound and then and then make a John Lennon sing. It was used to be able to pull pieces out and clean up the audio. And and, and I think AI has its place there, but in a creative space, that gives me pause for、yeah. a couple different reasons. One is yeah, like the writers that he said, listen, you're going to put us out of work. And two, AI learns by by basically ingesting stuff from other places. Right? It doesn't make it up on its own. It sees patterns in, let's say, they're writing someone else. So basically, when AI is writing something or creating something, it's stealing. I mean, if you want to call it that, if you want to be harsh about it. So、right. 
so yeah, AI has its particular place, but in the creative zone, I think it, it can affect jobs, and it's also taking work that other creators have done to do what it does. And I think that that's that's not that's not the best use of that particular technology. But it's here, and we have to see what we can do to keep it wrangled into its little hole if we can. Right. Okay. Um. I also read that you have narcolepsy. I do. Yeah, that was it. Was a funny experience how I even discovered that. I've always been tired, and and the and the best way I can describe narc narcolepsy is basically it's not a, even a sleeping disorder. They call it a waking disorder. So any time during the day, I'm just sleepy. I'm just sleepy all the time,、um, and that is my reality. So I never knew that that was something that wasn't normal. And and I remember my my ex-wife at the time had gone in because she was convinced that she had something that you know narcolepsy, whatever it might be. So she went in to go speak with the doctor about having narcolepsy, and I was standing like leaning in in the doorway and just kind of supporting and. You know, if I needed to chime in and help her out with her case and that sort of thing, and the doctor turns to her and says, "I don't think you have narcolepsy, but I think he might." And、wow. I looked like, "What?" And so something from how my demeanor or something I had said, and so at that point,、um, they they had me go in the following week, and I had all the、uh, the all the little things on my head, and then you sleep, and and then they wake you up every couple of hours. But basically, you've got a team of about three people watching you sleep. Mm-hmm. Which is a little bit weird. Maybe I should have charged them for that. I think people actually try <laughs> charge people, you know, on on,、uh, on Twitch channels to watch people sleep. So, but anyway, so then after that, they said, "Yeah, sure enough, you have narcolepsy."、And、that was a good thing for me. For other people, you know, that have things right in their lives. Once you sort of know the name of that thing, that what you consider it's a bit of a demon, that thing making me tired. Once I knew, oh, that's narcolepsy. I'm not just Sleepy or lazy or this sort of thing—all the designs we put on ourselves. Initially, I was probably a bit frustrated by it because it's it's something that you have for the rest of your life.、Mm-hmm. But then I started to consider, and you try and turn that around a bit if you can. And I realized for me that narcolepsy is a bit of a superpower、mm. because people—I try and put it this way—you know, when you're lying down going to sleep, and those those few moments right before you're falling asleep between the wake and the sleep world. Your mind starts to wander, and you start to get these ideas. Think that's a really good idea. I should write that down. No, I'll remember that in the morning, and then you don't remember in the morning.、Um, so that zone, that creative zone you're in, coming up with those unusual ideas. I'm in that zone most of my day. Eighty percent of the day, I'm sort of in that hazy zone, and I think that's helped me create. Over the years, and it's you know I've written once eight books out of、uh, a nine book series, and then I've just started this series up in August,、uh, the new Kane book series, the Wolf Warrior series, and third book comes out in December. And I think、I'll, it's it's an unusual story, and I think part of that is because since I have narcolepsy, and since I don't have let's say the governors on me of being awake all the time, that my my mind went, oh yeah, that's a good idea, I do that. <laughs> Where if I had been maybe a little bit more conscious, something in my head would have said that that's that's crazy. Why would you do something like that? But I don't have that, so that's why I ended up creating the story I created. So I see it as a positive when it comes to being able to create stuff. Okay, so you don't just fall asleep. It's just that you're sleepy. Yeah, so see, it's different for everybody. So there's some people that have the outfall sleep. There's some people that have the cataplexy, where if they hear a loud noise, they'll actually pass out. Um, you Google it on or go on to YouTube. There's videos of people that、uh, that have that.、Uh, 
What is it called? For me, uh, cataplexy. It's part of um, it's part of being a narcoleptic. It's、okay. called cataplexy. You take a look at it.、Uh, people, the narcoleptics, some have this, and thank goodness I don't have that, because I can't imagine being in traffic and somebody blares a horn at me, and I'm just <laughs> and I just go off into a shoulder or something. But mine, I do have times where I I'm basically sleeping with my eyes open. Like if I have to go into meetings, like for the show, there'll be moments where I'll be just like, like this, and then suddenly somebody else is talking. I'll go like, ha. How many minutes was I in that fugue state? So,、um, so I try and keep busy during meetings of playing cards or doodling or something. I have found that when you start to doodle and that people start to look at what you're doodling, so you got to watch what you're doodling because they start to judge you whatever you're putting there on the page. But、uh, no, for the most part, I, I, the the good part is my narcolepsy is just being tired all the time, and I don't have anything debilitating where I'm doing something and completely pass out. That's interesting because、um, I actually I have to take a sleep study in a couple of days.、Oh, right. Yeah, they asked me that I had narcolepsy, and I was like, no. But I didn't even realize that narcolepsy was not just falling asleep. No, no. And that's great. What?、Tired. Can I ask you what、um, what spurred that on?、Um, why why did they think you need to do this? Believe it or not, I was I thought I was sick. I was like, oh my god, something's wrong. I have a sore throat. I went to urgent care, and they looked at my throat, and she said, oh, but you may have sleep apnea. I was like, why? And then she told me I had a small, like a medium to small opening. So I just met with a sleep doctor. So I'm going to go do the sleep study just to see. I'm not sure if I have anything, but those were some of the questions that they asked on there. Like, can I fall? So I know somebody. I know somebody with sleep apnea, and they and there's a lot of different ways to treat that, and they have like a CPAP machine and stuff、mm-hmm. like that. And I tell you what, if that is what you have, and you end up doing the CPAP, it might feel a bit uncomfortable. I understand that'll change your life. Really?、Um, but I was just yeah, I was speaking to somebody even just this past week about it. Her husband has it, and it's night and day for him. And he knows if he doesn't like if they go on holiday somewhere and they don't bring it by mistake,、mm-hmm. he can tell. He's like, this is why I I wear this thing at night. So. Fingers、wow. crossed for you because if that ends up being it and they have a bit of a, a treatment for you, it's going to be great. So、okay. good luck. Well, that's good.、Um, yeah. So growing up, were you always funny, or when did you decide that you could be a comedian? Ah,、uh, I think it's one. I was a shy kid, right?、Um, I'm still shy, regardless of how I might seem. I'm quite shy.、Um, but、uh, when I was a kid, I think part of it was. Trying to get attention or some some sort of affection from my father, you know that sort of thing. My father was a Kiwi man,、uh, mm-hmm. <clears throat> Kiwi white boy, and Kiwi white boys do not express themselves. They they don't. There's not a lot happening there, and so my version of affection from him was to try and make him laugh for as much as he tried not to. By the way, and so、mm-hmm. if I could make him break, that was the sort of love I could get from him, and and I think that was something that developed, and then over the years. Being, because、uh, I was a chubby little kid too, and so here I was, yeah, coming down to、uh, New Jersey from Canada. So baptism by fire. So I was a、uh, Canadian. I had my Canadian accent, ten years old and a bit chubby, and I was a target. <laughs> I, I just, she just wore a big bullseye on my shirt, and so eventually I learned that the best way to sort of deflect that、um, was through humor, and so it was a defense mode, and so.、Mm-hmm. And you and I tell you how powerful that is, man. If if you can, and I did it out of desperation in various ways. But if you humor can diffuse situations, it can completely change the dynamic, change the the power structure of a conversation. 
it's it's really really powerful and i and, and i started to take a look and see like through the stand-up obviously and then the radio as what are those elements why why is that funny you know why is uh, uh david s pumpkins funny why is that moment funny and you try and break stuff apart and so like anytime i see a stand-up comedy routine or see a comedian talking about what makes something funny i listen and so over you know 30 40 years i really paid attention to that because i really really find it so unique you know um like if you want to make somebody mad you know you kill their dog if you'll make some somebody sad you take their dog away but you know what i mean how do you make somebody laugh how do you you know what i mean how do you make somebody universally find something funny it's real voodoo right mm-hmm. it, and that's what i love about it because it's sometimes not even something you can put a finger on you can think of structure or designs and that sort of thing but to be able to work out comedy and work out how something is funny and you know it's funny that's a real kind of magic that it's fun to tap into and i i love it it's it's, it's the neatest thing and it's given me four different careers so happy about that i can imagine that being a comedian is kind of difficult because like you said if you like each crowd is different like how do you know what's yeah. gonna which joke is gonna resonate like if they're uptight you do get a feel yeah and that's the difference when you're writing something right because you can't make an adjustment like if you go in and you start doing material um and a routine uh and then you notice that folks are laughing at some stuff but not at other stuff and this is stuff that might be a material so you know it works mm-hmm. then you start to move your set towards that stuff like um you can ask any comedian the worst show that you could possibly do is a late show on a friday because mm. people are tired from the long week and they've been drinking since they got off work <laughs> mm-hmm. so that show that show is going to get dirty that's what that's going to happen because that's what they want to see but mm. if you do a show on a wednesday night it could be a completely different show and you kind of just read the crowd as you go um and you get that interaction the writing is more difficult because you get one shot and so right. if somebody doesn't dig dig the story you put together doesn't dig the writing well then you lost them Right, uh, close so the hopefully, book. <laughs> exactly, right. Uh, so hopefully you get it as right as you can. Okay. Do you have a favorite comedian? Uh, yeah, it, it changes all the time. Um, and the challenge that I have is there was one comedian I was growing up that I loved. There's one comedian that I loved so much of the time. I memorized all of his albums. Um, and I have seen this individual more than I've seen anybody else live before or since. The problem is that that person was Bill Cosby. And so of late it's harder to tell people like, you know, this was my hero growing up. And I right. spoke to him for like literally 7 seconds, but he changed my life. You know, I know some horrible things have come out since then, right. but his storytelling and his way of commanding an audience and and creating a moment and a punchline was just magic and that really was something that turned turned my head into it you know and really got excited about but i love all comedians you know i've and i've been really enjoying being now, down here in new zealand because it's a bit of a different style of comedy in new zealand and australia and then getting more more folks coming down from like the uk so I've been introduced to a whole variety of uh, different comedians and uh, it's yeah it's been fun being able to see the style of comedy change over the years but in the end what's funny is funny. Okay. Tell me a little about your book. Your last series. Yeah, so so Kane is uh <laughs> and this comes down to the narcolepsy, right? So the idea behind Kane is I was actually writing another book that was still funny but a thriller, uh, but it was set in the news world, right? Cuz I've been in sort of the news comedy world for the last 20 years or so. 
and there is an adage. There's a saying in news that says, "Dog bites man." That's not a story. Can respect that. But man bites dog. That's a story because it's unusual. And so when I was interviewing for the thriller I was writing, all these news people, that adage kept coming up all the time. And it's it's one of those things that that got stuck in my head and started playing on loop in the background somewhere. And so you know, man bites dog. Man bites dog. And so I was like, man, that just that. Could be a story, and so that began to percolate in my subconscious, and eventually I started to think about, you know, it's a little bit of a werewolf turnaround, right? Because with a werewolf, you know, that's when the werewolf bites a guy, ah, he turns into a werewolf when the moon comes out. And so I was thinking, what if it was the other way around? What if it was a man who bites a wolf, and the wolf turned into a human, and that's what Cain is. Uh, and so there's a reason why that happens. The man who bit him has a particular virus, and that changes the wolf into Cain, who ends up being a six foot seven French Canadian, of course. And <laughs> and so so his quest through the entire book is to find this person who bit him and find out the story behind it. And there's the whole thing about super soldiers and shadow governments and that. But the one problem that he has. Because he is, he was, he was raised by a couple in British Columbia.、Uh, one was English and one was French, and so he's learned French and English. But the one thing he can't quite work out, because he used to be a wolf, is driving. So his motor skills kind of, does not make sense to him. All the other stuff he's trying to work out, and there's some really fun chapters from his point of view where he views humanity through his lens, and that's people really seem to find those chapters really fun. But so he can't drive, and so eventually he ends up having to get this young woman named Amelda, who's maybe a part-time criminal, <laughs> you know, who's done a bit of getaway driving in the past, and so she is a good driver. He ends up hiring her on as driver、uh, to take him around to these places as they're trying to investigate and find out about this guy who bit him, about the story behind him, because what he wants is to get back to his wolf pack. Because he's been a human for a year or so, running around, he's thinking, you know what, I, wolf is much better. I want to be running around naked in the woods. I mean, I suppose you could run around naked in the woods as a human, but you know, probably、Maybe. get incarcerated. <laughs> <laughs> so the story is about them. <laughs> yeah. So there's a so this story is about the six foot seven French Canadian who turns into a wolf wear since it's reverse werewolf basically when the moon is full, and Amelda who helps him out. Uh, and Amelda is his driver, but they become friends, you know,、uh, through this story. She gets invested in the story.、Um, but one of the things when I was writing it is I was thinking that, you know, when the when the sort of the big wolf where werewolf character comes out, that's I didn't want it to be where you had to wait all book for that to happen. That that's no fun for me as a writer, and I don't know how fun it is for for a reader. Twenty eight days, twenty nine days, and then now it's come out. So I started to think. Well, what would let's? Why is it just the full moon that affects the werewolves? What about what about a half moon? What about a, a quarter moon or a sliver? And so I was thinking. Well, what would that be if 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 if, if you turn into a werewolf or a wolf when it when it's a full moon? What would you be when it's a half moon or quarter moon? And the answer, of course, would be a dog. And so. When when it's a sliver of a moon, he's just a little lap dog. When it's、uh, like a half moon, he turns into a pug, which people love the pug, by the way.、Uh, for three quarter moon, he might be a Rottweiler. And so through the story,、um, and the times he steps into the moonlight, he transforms into these various dogs until, of course, we get to the full moon. And so so that was really fun for me. That was as a creator, that was a fun idea. And as I said, probably 
big thanks to narcolepsy for saying, yeah, that's a good idea. Do that, do that, do that. <laughs> when, when maybe a more conscious mind would have said, that's, that's nuts. Don't do that. So, so that's basically the idea behind the story as they're trying to find this biting man, uh, Imelda and Kane, that the moments that he often mistakenly steps into the moonlight, he transforms and then how he's got to deal with it from then. And sometimes Imelda's got to take things on because he's a teeny tiny dog. So do you have aspirations of turning book to film? Uh, it, yeah, of course. Uh, and actually, you mentioned it. Um, within a couple of weeks of publishing Kane, it it became a bestseller on Amazon, which was great within uh, various categories. And I was really stoked about that. Actually, the first time that it happened to me. So the story has really resonated with people. So mm -hmm. if you're an audiobook listener, you would have heard of Podium Audio. Uh, they're the folks that many years ago, they found a guy named Andy Weir who'd written a book called The Martian. And they'd taken The Martian and turned that into an audiobook. And then when people in Hollywood heard the audiobook, they went, because when you do an audiobook, it's acting, right? And so they could hear what that story might be on the screen. And they turned that into a film with Matt Damon uh, just Ooh. from a couple of years ago. So they've, uh, so Podium is producing the, the audiobooks, which I'm stoked about. Um, the first one comes out here. Kane, the very first one comes out in uh, mid-January. Um, then the second book, uh, Kane Unleashed, will come out in February. And then right after Kane Unhinged should be coming out shortly after that. And who knows, there might even be book four, book five. We'll see. But yeah, so so that would be a path, hopefully, um, that would take it. Because I think it would be a neat series or a neat film. Uh, because I could really see that. I could really see, I can see it on the screen because when I write, I see movies in my head as I write. So yeah, it, I think it'd be great. Do you think you get you ever even I, I know you say you don't want to be on TV, but would you want to play a character in a book? Uh, like in a film or a series, I, it would be fun to do that, right? Do do like a like an M Night uh, Shyamalan or like uh, what, <laughs> right. uh, Alfred Hitchcock. I would love to be you know the bank teller guy in the background or something. I don't know if I'd do a speaking <laughs> role, but that would be fun because I'd love to be on set. How cool would that be, right? Something I created. In, in my home office, it's my garage, my home office <laughs> in New Zealand that ends up turning into this world, this physical world around me. I just want to be there. I just want to be in the middle of it because it's, 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 it was from in my head and turned into set designers and actors and sound designers and catering. <laughs> and, and I would love to be in the middle of that scene one way or another. And so any way that they would take me, I'd take it in a heartbeat. Okay. That would be really nice. Do you have a favorite character nice. in the book? It'd be Kane. I think a lot of people love, I mean, I love Imelda because all characters you write are some portion of your own head. Mm. Um, like in the other series I was writing, um, the main character was like an ex-DJ. And so that's me, right? I mean, that was pretty simple. But but Imelda is like a 25-year-old um, young Hispanic woman and a part-time criminal. Kane is a six-foot-seven French-Canadian <laughs> who used to be a wolf. So even though those couldn't be any farther away from who I am, um, they do resonate in some part of your head. And I had the great fortune of knowing some brilliant, lovely, wonderful Latina ladies. And I've taken sort of a, put them all together, uh, Jenny and Carminia and all that. And so they're, they're basically what turned into Imelda. And so, so I love Imelda, but Kane, everyone seems to just love Kane. And I think part of it is because the way he views us, you know, through that really honest lens of interpreting how humans interact with each other. And he's sort of in a bit of a funny way, the way he's interpreting stuff that doesn't make sense. And as a wolf, he also is wholly, he, lying makes no sense to wolves. 
right? I mean, that, that there's no lying in the wolf world, in the animal world. That's a very human trait, unfortunately. Right. And so he'll go into like if he goes into a convenience store somewhere, or a gas station, and the woman says, you know, what's your story? He's like, I, I am wolf. <laughs> and he just flat out says it. So constantly, Mel is going to be like, he's he's French Canadian. Don't bother him. He doesn't know what he's saying. Right. Um, so yeah, he's a fun character. I love all the characters, but he's probably the most fun. Do you have one that you dislike? Uh, Gregor, Tech Sergeant Gregor. You can't help but dislike him. But you know, I find that with any villain, any bad guy, because Tech mm -hmm. Sergeant Gregor is somebody that's hunting him. Basically, um, mm -hmm. they're competing to find the Biting Man, and in the end, uh, it turns out that he's actually chasing after Kane as well. Um, he's just a real jerk. But I always find with my villains that. They can't be two-dimensional, right? They can't just be twirling their mustaches, planning evil plans. You need a bit more with them. Not necessarily to where you are sympathetic or even empathetic, but having an idea of why they are the way they are. And so I was able to develop that a little bit more in books two and three. Uh, and that was a real sort of fun journey, you know, to be able to, as I'm saying, not, not trying to make a villain likable, but to where somebody goes like, well, I, okay, I can see why you're Even the story. <laughs> yeah, I give yeah. him a bit of a story, but but not overly so. I've never been a fan when I'm reading something where if someone's going to do you know page upon page of backstory in that, I just give enough to where you can fill in some of the blanks, and I think that mm -hmm. can be a lot more powerful than just going ahead and info right. dumping on somebody all the bits and pieces. When you start writing a book, do you know the end, or does it just happen? So there's there's two different types of writers, um, and people call them different things. But basically, you have a plotter, and then you have a pantser. Or what pe some people call uh, discovery writers, and so a plotter is somebody like there's an, an old science fiction writer. I always use an example, Isaac Asimov, and he would sit down and he knew what each what each chapter did. He knew what each character would would say. He knew the beats all through it, and he would sit down and do his day from nine to five and just write those out like it was a day job and put some brilliant books together. Um, for my part, I'm. <clears throat> when I go into stories, I have the sort of idea. Usually, have kind of an idea. Like with Kane, I knew the beginnings and I knew the characters. And once I get the characters, those characters speak to me and start telling me the story. And when you really get your characters down, I know how nuts this sounds. I promise you, how flaky this sounds. And I hear them. They talk to me and they tell me what, what's happening next. And I just basically transcribe what they're saying or doing. And so that is is so delightful for me. But. Like in this very last book, when I started the most recent one, I just uh, I've just sent to my editors, book three. I started writing it, and to be honest, I kind of didn't <laughs> I didn't know where it was going, and so I had to trust my characters to tell me where it was going, and it, they did. That can be nerve wracking. It's you're like, oh my god, I don't know what I'm doing. You, right. you have that uh, <laughs> uh, imposter syndrome, as people call, like I'm no good, yeah. I suck, I'm terrible at this. But then eventually the characters started to fill me in and, and throw in uh, bits and pieces. And then usually by about a, when I'm writing like that, about a third way through the book, I can step back and go, okay, where am I going with this? I have a bit of an idea, some plot points, and I hit those marks and I go, it, it never, it's, it's, but it's, it's like this, you know, same for a straight line. I may have a design on this is how it's going to end. Because I tell you what, this book, mm -hmm. I was writing the last couple of chapters and something just like an old character came in from another series came in and was like, Ooh. yeah, I, I want to get in on this. I swear to you, it's, I know how crazy it sounds, I promise. But he was like, I want to get in on this. And so a character from my other, ooh, I shouldn't say too much, but a character from another series 
has entered into this series. And I was surprised as anybody else when that happened. It was just really neat, and, but it fit. That's the thing, the subconscious is so fascinating. The human brain is so fascinating because it made total sense that he'd be there. And so, yeah, yeah I'll be excited to see when people start. And actually, you're the first person I've told that to. So okay. anybody who's a reader who sees this, surprise. Right? <laughs> yeah. Okay. So that's kind of fun. So, yeah. The reason why I ask, because I'm a writer as well. And sometimes right. people say, can you put me in the book? Can you put me in the book? I'm like, listen, I can put you in the book, but I don't know what's going to happen to you because it just kind of right. goes. <laughs> listen, here's the thing, too. You'll put everybody in your book. Only in the sense that you need names. Right. <laughs> and, of course. And, and everybody, everybody, I would, sometimes I'll change him just a little bit. Like my good friend, mm. uh, Dan Stinnett, uh, his Dan mm. Pinnett. There's a real threat Easy. in another series. <laughs> um, yeah. And I don't know in my head, I just don't want to necessarily label them like that. But just about everybody I meet, if I meet somebody who's got an interesting name, it's like, great. Uh, how do you spell that? Just wonderful right. to meet you. How do you spell that name? Right. Because um, if you don't do that, basically, you're you're, uh, you're searching for baby name, baby male names in Germany, you know, on right. Google, right? Yeah. yeah. Everybody I know in some way has been in uh, in my books. In fact, this was this book was the first book that my wife Tiffany appeared in. Um, oh. She she yeah she she's an operator for I won't say too much of it, but she's an operator for for somebody who needs some help, and so okay. she's uh, Tiffany. Tiffany has made an appearance in the book for the first time. So that's okay. Good. Yeah. All right. So my question that I asked everyone: If right. you could go back and talk to your 17 year old self and tell him right. about life and what's going to go on, what would you tell him? I think especially when you're younger like 17 18 you think you've got it worked out or you're getting down that path of working it out and i think especially for creative people i think the hardest thing in the world to do is to listen to other people and i would i, I would say to my 17 year old self you get so much more from what somebody else has to say like if you're in a conversation like a new conversation with somebody you just want to sometimes don't wait for their lips to stop moving so that you can get your thing in listen to what they're saying, respond to what they're saying, be invested in what they're saying. You get so much out of that and they get so much out of that. You know, if someone's actually listening to what is important to them and that's a gift that you can give to them, but in doing that, that gift comes back to you. So I think that would be one, one of many things, but that is something that's really, I've learned in the last couple of decades, how important that is to really listen to somebody and be present with somebody in a particular moment. That is great advice. Okay. Um, so, of course, this is the end of the show. Can you tell everyone how they can follow you and how they can purchase your books? Yeah. You just go to my website, my name, dickwybro.com. If you want to pick up the books, they're on Amazon. It's the easiest place. And I'm on all the other places, too. Uh, if you go to my website, I've got uh, links there for Facebook. And um, I don't really use Twitter because it's kind of vile, but or X, whatever it's called now. <laughs> but I got Instagram and TikTok and stuff like that. But yeah, f you can find all the books up there on uh, put my name into Amazon and it'll come right up all around the world. Okay. All right. So thank you so much. I have really enjoyed our time together. Um, I'm learning about a lot, the books, and it seems very interesting. I can't wait to get into it because it's like, I want to see how you can write so many books on that topic. Yeah. It, it seems um, interesting. And good luck, <laughs> and good luck with um, your own writing as well. I'm looking forward to seeing when you get something out into the world. I'd love to see what you're doing. Good. Thank you. I appreciate it. Okay, so yeah. to all of my listeners, thank you so much for staying all the way. I hope you all enjoyed it. I hope you go pick up Dick's books and check out the series that he has. Um, I like werewolves or wolf, 
wares, like you said. <laughs> so I can't, like I yeah. said, I can't wait. Um, thank Great. you all for listening. Um, and I think that's it. So if the Lord says the same, I will see you all next week. Bye-bye. I'm coming. It's taking all day to end. Why is it taking long to end? All right, I think it's not ending. All right, well, <laughs> I I don't know why it won't let me go off, but I'll just turn <laughs> all the way off. It's supposed to cut off. I'm not sure what's going on, but anyway, thank you, and I'll be in touch with you. Fantastic, thank you. I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed the conversation, and good luck with uh, with your Thanksgiving uh, Thanksgiving preparations. Thank you so much. Have a good one. Bye. Bye. You too.